Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the UDOT Cottonwood Canyons podcast. I am Matt Allred, UDOT's Internal Communications Manager, and as always, my trusty sidekick, Lisa Miller, is with me. How are you, Lisa? Hi, Matt. I'm great. How are you? Good. Hey, so I did this last time. I did a recap. Do you want to do a recap for us and just make sure that we're hitting... So this is episode six, right? And just do a recap of what we've done so far. So if anybody's jumping into the podcast at this point and they just find, hey, I Googled the word avalanche and this is the podcast that came up. What did we talk about in episodes one through five? So far on the podcast, Matt, we've talked about a lot regarding the Little Cottonwood Canyon EIS or Environmental Impact Statement. And today we're switching gears a little bit to take a deeper dive into the inner workings of canyon operations, specifically with avalanche mitigation. And we've brought in a few members of the UDOT Avalanche team to help us understand all of this action behind the scenes and all the stuff that goes on up there. And this is a big deal. Avalanche control really is a big deal. And when the canyon shuts down, it's not because we're trying to make people's day worse. It's because we're actually trying to keep people safe. So... Uh, with us is Stephen Clark. Stephen, how are you today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Stephen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do for UDOT? I'm the UDOT Avalanche Program Manager. Um, I think I just finished up my ninth winter season with the Avalanche Program. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a huge part of the Little Cotton Canyon operations that I'm sure a lot of the listeners have had to deal with. So Stephen, you're over two different teams, right? So we have we have three main forecasting areas um, that we work in: the Provo Canyon, Big Cotton Canyon, and Little Cotton Canyon. And Little Cotton Canyon is really has the lion's share of the avalanche hazard and the the active work that we do. So we have nine crew members: um, two in Provo Canyon, two in Big Cotton Canyon, and then five in Little Cottonwood Canyon. So Stephen, you're over the whole statewide program, though, right? Correct. So yeah, the unit avalanche programs uh, were tasked with um, preventing avalanches from crossing open highways, like on all state highways throughout the north and south Utah. Um, Well, there's a few rural highways that do have some avalanche hazard, like Logan Canyon and Huntington Canyon, and um, but the the lion's share of the work is in Little Cottonwood Canyon. Yeah. Well, and this was, especially this year, was pretty historic. In fact, I think February was probably, uh, goes on the record as one of the the busiest avalanche cycles that we've seen ever in the state. And you guys were busy. You guys were very, very busy. Yes, absolutely. This year was, it was fairly focused to the central Wasatch. In years past, we've had more widespread um, statewide events where they're the Southern Utah mountains are getting a lot of snow and the Northern Utah mountains are getting a lot of snow. And, but the central Wasatch is in a great place and it gets, uh, typically gets snow during most of those kinds of events. So yes, we had a very busy past two Februarys have been very busy for us. Well, kudos to you guys. You've really, uh, you've, you've really done a good job keeping those roads clear or those roads clear. Excuse me. Um, talk about a typical day for you guys, for your crews. Really? Our typical days are we kind of like live and die around the weather. Um, we're constantly looking at current and future weather forecasts and then making plans to do avalanche mitigation work based on the 
the needs of whatever kind of weather event we're um, going to be dealing with. So that has a lot to do with um, making weather observations in our various study plots around the cane. So we take manual snow and water observations. Um, we the UDOT Avalanche program kind of runs and operates the vast majority of the the kind of like snow avalanche weather stations that people may be used to looking at, um, whether that's the Alta Guard Station or Reynolds Peak or Spruces. Um, so typically in part, part of our day involves like going to one of those study plots one or twice a day, making manual snow and water measurements. Um, we typically have a few different um, storm and snow boards that we'll measure at different times throughout a storm. Um, and then all that gets put into, um, we keep super detailed records on kind of like breaking a 24 hour day into like four or six hour periods. And that's how we kind of break out our weather times. Um, and then another big part of our daily activities is trying to get a handle on what's happening with the snowpack. Um, and we use a lot of different tools and instruments to do that. Um, kind of the most basic is just getting out on the snow, um, digging digging around looking at um kind of current and past recent avalanche activity um and then just making sure all of our equipment is ready to to go once we do have enough avalanche risk that we need to do avalanche mitigation work and you say getting out on the snow i mean it's, it's skiing there's a lot of skiing involved in your job right yeah i mean that's certainly the most the safest and efficient way to get around um and get the information that we need to do our jobs um I think a common misconception is that people think that we're out just skiing powder and, and <laughs> loving it. Um, but really when it's, when it's storming and everyone is driving up the canyons to go skiing, that's when we're, that's when we're working. Um, so, and then during the snowstorm, we try and get out and assess current conditions, but um, usually that's not in the most pleasant of uh, conditions. So you're not out there for too long. Yeah, of course. So we have actual tools, like UDOT has actual, I'm going to say tools or things that are used during these, during mitigation, during avalanche mitigation in, especially in the Cottonwood Canyons. Talk about some of those tools, those, those things that we're using. So kind of, again, it starts, starts with the forecasting part of our job, which is using our weather stations. Um, and those are snow, snow depth sensors, precipitation gauges air temperature sensors. Um, we help, we have, we operate a network of avalanche detection systems that uses infrasound, which is a, the, the sound um, that's easily emitted by avalanches. So we have, they're basically microphones that listen for avalanches and they'll detect when um, active avalanche activity is happening in a very real time scenario. So we use those tools and then um, Probably what we're probably most known for is um, once we're actually doing avalanche control work, and especially in Little Cottonwood Canyon, uh, we use military artillery um, to to trigger avalanches in the most kind of like timely and controlled way possible. Um, artillery avalanche control work started in Little Cottonwood Canyon back in the 1940s, and they've gone through many iterations of um, weapon platforms. Currently. Uh, all the artillery that's used for avalanche control in North America is a 105 howitzer. So it's that 105 millimeter diameter bullet. Um, and they're really effective tools for us. Um, we shoot, you know, 
oh, three, four, up to 500 rounds uh, winter season in Little Cottonwood Canyon. So we shoot a lot. Um, but it's something that we're trying to actively reduce our use and dependence on, which is uh, we have been slowly implementing over the past decade uh, tools called remote avalanche control systems or RACs. And those are, there's a few different types, GAZX, OBLX, and now there's, we just did a big install last summer of thir- of 12 uh, VSEN towers, W-Y-S-S-E-N. And those are systems that really achieve the same goal, but they, um, they're kind of like different tools for different jobs. So that's why we kind of have the, the mix of systems. Well, and I want, I kind of want people to understand what, what these tools are for. These cause avalanches, right? All of these tools cause avalanches. And, and the reason that we do that is because we can shut down the Canyon, have the avalanche, which is going to happen anyway, um, hit the road on our time while we're planning for it uh, when people are safe and then clear the avalanche and then the risk basically goes away for a while. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a pretty good way of putting it. Um, You know, avalanche risk kind of follows like your standard bell curve. It starts out low, it has a kind of a short peak and then it rapidly decreases. And specifically in Little Cottonwood Canyon, we we deal with uh, what's called direct action avalanches. So avalanches that are occurring during or immediately after a snowstorm. And that's kind of unique to Little Cottonwood and where we have, we really focus in on a few um, common avalanche problems. So storm slab, wet, loose, dry, loose, and we have some wet slab problems, but um, not as prevalent in our program. And then because of the aspects in the terrain uh, in Little Cottonwood, most of it is south facing terrain. We typically don't get a lot of persistent weak layer buildup um, in that terrain. So that's why when it storms, we do avalanche mitigation work. It's, that's really the primary avalanche problem that we deal with. And so, yes, yeah, so like we can, we can, and we only really have, and because Little Cotton Canyon is so busy and then there's so much activity going on, we, we don't really, we try and do avalanche mitigation work, um, in certain times that cause the least amount of impact. So that's either early in the morning or kind of in that middle day period when everyone has already gotten up to the ski areas. Those are kind of the couple times when we can do avalanche mitigation work. And there are special cases here and there where we can, we can adjust those times, but that's why we typically do avalanche mitigation work during those kind of like predictable AM mid afternoon times. Sweet. We've used helicopters too, right? I, I know we've we've used helicopters in the past to help with the mitigation as well. Yeah, and so helicopter um, helicopter explosive work is a really another really great tool. Um, the problem with helicopter avalanche work is that you typically have to have good weather to fly a helicopter, and so that typically can't happen until after a storm is is typically over. Um, and so we use that tool in places where we have either kind of lower frequency avalanche um, occurrences. So places in the lower Little Cottonwood Canyon or places that are not really accessible with the other types of avalanche mitigation work from, because of a myriad of reasons, whether that's a wilderness area or whether that's a proximity to buildings and people problem. Um, So yes, the helicopter is a really, really effective tool, but we have fairly narrow windows when when we can use that tool. 
Okay, Stephen, let's talk about the infamous avalanche mitigation road closures that happened throughout the winter, especially in Little Cottonwood Canyon. Now, you mentioned some of this already, and Matt already mentioned, of course, your, our job's here to keep the roads open and safe, but what are we looking at as far as avalanche danger in Little Cottonwood specifically, and why is this avalanche mitigation kind of required to keep the roads safe? So in in the, the world of highway avalanche forecasting, we use a, a, a performance metric called the Avalanche Hazard Index, and that is really kind of a combination of traffic frequency and avalanche frequency. Um, and there's a whole long equation that goes into how you determine your avalanche hazard index. But Little Cottonwood Canyon has the highest avalanche hazard, avalanche hazard index of any road in North America. Um, and that's a big combination, and it's largely due to the very high traffic volumes and very frequent um, avalanche occurrences. So that is the metric that um, we kind of base our how well we're not really how it's not really a performance metric. It's really just a kind of a descriptor of the hazard. Um, and there's way to reduce, there's ways to reduce that avalanche hazard index, but they, they take more, they take kind of like removal of those avalanche paths from impacting the highway. And we can probably talk about that later when we talk about when we, if we mention snow sheds, that's one way to, to reduce the avalanche hazard index. Um, but kind of the, yeah, it's the perfect combination of um, the the location of the roadway. It's right in the track of uh, the majority of the avalanche paths in Little Cottonwood Canyon. There's over over 60 avalanche paths that impact the highway in Little Cottonwood. And you combine that with um, copious amounts of snowfall and then that kind of combination of copious amounts of snowfall, which causes those direct action avalanches. And that's why we do so much avalanche mitigation work, especially in Little Cottonwood. There are 64 slide paths throughout Little Cottonwood Canyon, and pretty much over half of uh, State Route 210 or Little Cottonwood Canyon Road is essentially threatened by avalanches, right, Stephen? So, I mean, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, and then the Upper Canyon is even <clears throat> has even higher percentages. I think the from Snowbird and above, uh, somewhere like over 80% of the roadway is in an avalanche path. So there's really there's really not much place that you can get out of the way of the avalanches completely. Um, and you can kind of, if you, if you look around in the upper Canyon, a lot of the buildings are clustered in places where there are less impact from avalanches, but there's very few places that are completely void of avalanche risk. We really strive for that balance between safety and mobility. And, you know, the roadways are of course never com completely safe, but with, Great effort and a lot of strategy and some help from our friends in the canyons, the businesses, other agencies and the public. We really want to achieve that um, that lower risk and, and public access. Uh, now, that's, that's specifically Little Cottonwood, but what about Big Cottonwood Canyon? I think Big Cottonwood saw some avalanche activity this season too, right? Yeah, correct. Um, Big Cottonwood actually has some of the biggest avalanche paths Um in Utah that impact the highways. So Provo Canyon and Bicotwin Canyon, they have a couple paths that are over 3,000 vertical feet of elevation change between the uh, between the highway and the avalanche starting zones. Um, Bicotwin, again, is it kind of falls into one of those places where you have a lot of relatively small avalanche paths, so like kind of big road bank type avalanches that are somewhat threatening to the traveling public, but really what they do is they block traffic. 
Um, and that's what we saw a lot of this year. And then you have the kind of the contrast where you have kind of three big, large avalanche paths that can impact the highway. So it's uh, God's Lawnmower Avalanche Path, Argena Avalanche Path, and then Steers Gulch Avalanche Path. Um, and so those places we we can shoot those we can do artillery avalanche control work in those places, but it's a lot more effective and faster and just better if we can wait until the storm is over and do uh, helicopter avalanche control work there. Um, we have a little bit more f- uh, kind of like fine tuned um, placement of those explosives, and we can feel like we can reduce the risk uh, a lot better. But we do have the option to use artillery if you get into a prolonged storm system and you need to do control work in the middle of the storm. So how, Stephen, tell me how, I'm just trying to figure out how you guys, like what forecasting goes in and, and really what determines whether or not you need to do avalanche mitigation. Because it seems to me like some days there's, it from my vantage point, it's just dumping in the canyon, but the canyon's wide open, right? And then other days, you know, there seems to be a higher danger than others. So really, how do you know on any given day what you're going to need to do? Unfortunately, you know, it would be nice if avalanches fit into a nice little kind of black box model of like, if we have an inch of water and if we had a half a foot of snow, then we need to do avalanche control work. Unfortunately, it doesn't really play as nice as that. Um, Again, it has, because because kind of like that dynamic relationship between the snowpack and the weather. Um, We're constantly trying to evaluate again, when is that bulk of the precip going to fall? When are the highest precipitation intensity rates? And that's, that's another thing that we pay a lot of attention to in Little Cottonwood is the the PI rates. Um, And whether, and so that's like an inches per hour uh, kind of units. Um, So whenever we're getting that, one to up to three inches an hour precipitation intensity rates. Um, that's when that kind of new snow and old snow um, bonding and, and adhesion isn't can be a problem. And then how the storms change over time. Like if a storm starts out cold and then progressively gets warmer, that's what when you can start. So you your snowstorm starts out with these nice big fat kind of pretty snowflakes and then over time those snowflakes get smaller and smaller and more dense and more dense and then you have this kind of upside down layering if you will you have less hard snow underneath harder snow and then that less hard snow has room to collapse and that that less hard snow can kind of like propagate a failure um, and become overloaded whereas if you had the opposite scenario of kind of stronger snow sitting and then weaker snow above that so these if the storm gets progressively colder um so there's a myriad of factors in how a snowstorm changes over time that really influences the avalanche hazard and then again at a certain point it's you have to just you're not really you you your forecasting time frame becomes shorter and shorter you're starting to use your instrumentation more. What, what, what would actually happen in the past two hours? And are we seeing, are we hearing any avalanches on our avalanche detection system? And that's where the decision, especially in those midday closures, which are like the dreaded, the dreaded closure of everything that we do. Um, that's where it's, it might seem like we're 
kind of just making these really last minute decisions, but we're really trying to, again, balance that like increased mobility. We're trying to keep the road open, but we're trying to manage the risk. And sometimes when we have all of this information kind of like blinking red and telling us that there's a, the hazard is drastically increasing or the storm has changed more than we think, then that's when we have to do that midday or kind of like last minute or less time notice avalanche control work. Well, and that's one of the one of, that's one of the concerns that we get a lot too, and a lot of the uh, we get this question, you know, why why in the middle of the day, <laughs> right? It's it's such a pain in the butt for my commute back home, or I want to leave the mountain at two or whatever, and and you just answer those perfectly, right? And I I love your response, like if only avalanches could fit into this nice little packaged schedule, um, but it doesn't, right? And and sometimes middle of the day. Um, mitigation is is enough for you guys to get ahead of the storm a little bit and and keep people safe. That's really it's really the balance there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the midday it goes back. It it part of it ties into back in that avalanche hazard index. So the more the midday is typically the time when there's the least amount of vehicles on the roadway. Um, it's the, kind of like the it's a little bit of the least impactful. But what we don't want is to have bumper to bumper traffic and the avalanche hazard increasing. And then if we need to, we don't want a bunch of bumper to bumper vehicles stuck on the roadway and then have an avalanche cross the road and then you have to turn everyone around. And that's like the worst case scenario. So that's, again, that's another big reason why for that midday closure. One of my, one of our maintenance guys, one of our maintenance shed managers uh, calls it the red snake. And he said the worst thing for them (laughs) on an avalanche day is to look down the canyon and see the red snake, which is just taillights, you know, down the canyon. And, they, you know, that's, that's a stressful, that's a stressful thing. And so if it's bumper to bumper traffic down the canyon, we'd much rather have that mitigated well before that bumper to bumper traffic happens than, you know, than have to keep our fingers crossed and hold on. So. Yeah. You can only hold your breath for so long. Exactly. Matt, that's a perfect segue into our next question. I mean, Steven, you have a great crew with a UDOT Avalanche crew, but how much does the UDOT Avalanche crew coordinate with other canyon partners like roadway operations, the ski areas, high, uh, um, law enforcement and stuff like that? It's it's constant. You know, the UDOT, if you take Little Cottonwood Canyon as a whole, like the UDOT Avalanche program is like a small slice of the pie. There's so many other um, major stakeholders and major contributors to how that canyon operates um UDOT would we wouldn't be able to do it on our own like we would we would fail to make any kind of progress and fail to keep that canyon open if it if it weren't for the the other kind of like contributory partners you know we're, we're constantly in contact with um kind of like starts with s- ski area snow safety programs um because and we use the we use their various ski patrols to do um, to help us actually shoot the weapons um, when we need to do avalanche mitigation work. And then it kind of like trickles down from there. And then it goes to the various law enforcement agencies, the town of Alton Marshals and the UPD cops with helping with road closures. And then it starts with the maintenance crews, making sure we have plows staged in the right places. And then it's a coordinated effort with the parking crews. And um, I, yeah, the list, it's a very long list of people who, help make that place run. 
Another thing we'd really like to clarify for the public, there's still no parking on the road in designated avalanche slide zones, right? I mean, even when it doesn't seem like there's a high avalanche danger. Yeah, exactly. So as you're as you're driving up um, Little Cottonwood, you know, we have these kind of like big avalanche area signs. It might say Tanner's avalanche area next one mile, no, no stopping or standing um, during the winter season. It's like November 1st to April 30th. Um, and those are there for, you know, it's, that's the, that's what we don't want. We don't want traffic sitting in um, those avalanche areas. Cause one, we don't know, it creates a couple problems. One, we don't know if, if the people aren't in their vehicle, say they parked somewhere and they went out to go um, recreate somewhere in the backcountry, whether it's backcountry skiing or snowshoeing or just hiking, we don't really know where those people are. And so then we can't do avalanche control work unless we're almost with, with almost like perfect certainty that there's nobody in those avalanche areas. And so that's, one of the big reasons, and then it just affects um, it affects the operations of the maintenance um, crews, um, and then it just it's like a it's just because it's there may be days when there's no hazard. It's too difficult to kind of like go back and forth and say, oh, today is okay, but t- tomorrow isn't going to be um, operationally. It's much safer. To just have those areas as designated no parking in the winter season. That avalanche hazard index, not as obvious as one would think. The the hazard's fluid, right? So it can go from safe to not safe in a short period of time. Yeah, exactly. So Stephen, what? I mean, you guys are really, really busy for those months, right? You know, November through March, April. Um, what happens in the summer? What uh, what what is it, mitigation operations like? What does your crew do during the summer? Uh, I get that question a lot, and it's it's and the, sh- the short answer is just getting ready for winter. Um, we and so the more and more kind of mitigation infrastructure and equipment that we have, it takes a lot of maintaining um, to make sure that stuff is ready to go. So all of those, I think we have over thirty r- rack placements now in Little Cottonwood, and each one of those has a a fairly extensive preventative maintenance procedure that needs to be um, kind of conducted to each uh, control piece um, and then all of our weather station maintenance. And then like last summer that we may actually be kind of like coordinating and uh, act as the project managers for a large um, construction installation project. Um, not everyone is full-time, you know, typically we have kind of a myriad of, uh, summer type seasonal activities. Some people are river guides. Some people go down to New Zealand and do avalanche work down there. Um, and some people stay here, like kind of like myself, and just make sure that all of these other kind of preparation projects are happening. Stephen, in the last episode, <clears throat> the EIS team mentioned that the snow sheds were under consideration for Little Cottonwood. From your perspective, how would the addition of snow sheds impact avalanche mitigation operations and road closures? And before you answer that, can you remind us what snow sheds are? Yeah, so snow sheds are, you know, in simpler, simple form, it's, think of it like a, a bridge over the roadway that kind of runs parallel to the roadway. And it allows an avalanche to pass over the roadway and not impact the vehicles traveling below it. And they can be made of 
different materials and look a little bit different, but essentially, yeah, think of them just like a bridge that runs parallel to the roadway. Um, and what a, what a snowshed does is, again, kind of going back to this avalanche hazard index, is it, it essentially removes that avalanche path from impacting the roadway. Um, so that is, it, it, it sort of, again, lowers, it eliminates the frequency of that avalanche path impacting the highway and then continues to lower that avalanche hazard index number. And that's really the only way that you can sort of actually really reduce the, ha the risk to that part of the roadway. Um, I think they can be an extremely effective tool. It's, it's you know, there, historically there were avalanche sheds in Little Cottonwood Canyon when there was an old kind of horse-drawn and cog railway um, in places. There was an old shed that was made of timbers that to do just this. And um, unfortunately, they underestimated how big some of the avalanches can be. And that those, <clears throat> I think they were probably destroyed and rebuilt in various iterations in the early mining days. Um, but yeah, I think that that's really, and what it would do for a closure scenario is that it, a lot of times when we do avalanche mitigation work in the lower canyon, you know, we, every path has this kind of its own, it behaves differently and it has its own frequency. Um, and it, it, it will avalanche either, it, it, they kind of behave in a little bit in a pattern. So sometimes there's these more of an indicator avalanche path, which is like the white pine chutes in Little Cottonwood Canyon, we typically think of those as kind of indicator slide paths. When those start having avalanche activity, they're very steep, they're very kind of narrow gullies, and they kind of spit right down onto the roadway. Um, sometimes if we have a shorter duration storm and those, say, we're more concerned about these kind of early indicator paths, but we think that the storm is going to end in the next four to five hours, we, we may be, we'll, be, we'll be able to allow those avalanches to happen and keep the road open and not have to do that avalanche mitigation work. And because of the cost, really, of those, those structures, we can't have the entire roadway in a shed. So that's why we've, that's why we kind of chose the placements of those current the planned snowsheds so for the white pine shoots, little pine and white pine. Those are kind of these more frequent paths that we, when we, when we do those midday closures, we're really focused on trying to mitigate the hazard there. And we may do some work in the other less frequent slide paths as, um, as just further risk reduction while we're already doing the mitigation work. Um, but I think in, in practice and from how those are going to impact the public is those, those are really the, those are the tool that are, it's going to reduce the number of closures. Very interesting stuff. Now I'm, I'm from Wisconsin originally and we don't have avalanche forecasters there, right? There's no need for it. So um, thanks for being here, of course, and, and sharing with us some info on the podcast and also thanks for what you do to keep Utah moving. And, and Lisa, I do have to give a special shout out to Stephen. He originally, when we had this planned, he had uh, he had a, a couple of his guys that were that were able to come and be on the podcast with him. And the last minute, we just ended up with Stephen. So Stephen got Stephen got this whole thing. It's all of our attention is on you today, Stephen. So thank you. Good job, yeah. man. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, guys. So Lisa, next week we are going to chat with Unified Police 
uh, UPD, and we're going to talk to them about everybody's favorite thing, everybody's favorite topic when it comes to the Cottonwood Canyons. Any guesses on what it is? Well, my favorite topic has to be the traction law. It is the traction law. Gold star for you, Lisa. Bingo. (laughs) Bingo. So, guys, everybody will see you next time. Uh, Until then, put your phones down, buckle up, be safe, and uh, see you next time. Thank you.